All right, well, good morning, Lighthouse. If you turn in your Bibles this morning uh, to Romans chapter 5, um, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. It's only five verses. We're gonna, there'll be a couple other, uh, uh, other scripture that we look at, but uh, um, we'll always be coming right back to this. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a, rich, a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This little passage of scripture we just read, I think joins others like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 23 and Hebrews 11 and Philippians 4 and John 3 and being, uh, in my opinion, uh, some of my, among the greatest in the word of God. Now, all these passages that I've mentioned, as well as others, they've, they've long brought comfort to the hearts of men. But in this passage that we just read, we find the Apostle Paul still rehearsing the benefits that are ours as children of God. And these verses, they, they make plain the great provisions that have come our way through the death of the Lord Jesus. And by virtue of our placing our faith in Him for salvation, we have these benefits. Now, these verses tell us um, of the wonderful things that we have in Christ. You know, I want to draw your attention to verse 8. And, I, and, and the last phrase of that verse, now look at the last two words. It's for us. Now, these two words sum up the content of this message. So as the Lord gives me liberty this morning, I'd like to preach for a little while on the thought of all this just for us. And you know, with the, with the good, uh, you know, there's always the bad with the good. So to start out, I want to uh, look at man's hopeless condition. Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 10 again. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more... Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, I reread these verses for a, a kind of a specific reason. See, in these five verses, Paul tells us that man's condition can be summed up by four descriptive terms without strength, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. And see, these, these four terms describe the condition of all men who are lost in sin. 
This is God's portrait of humanity apart from him. So let's, let's take just a few minutes this morning to look at man's hopeless condition. And the first thing I'd, I'd really like you to see is that, that man is weak. Look at verse 6. It, it says, For when we were yet without strength. Notice that, that phrase, without strength. You see, Paul here it begins to describe the greatness of God's love. See, it's a love that is given to the undeserving. It's given to those without strength. It's given to the, to the ungodly and to sinners. And see, this emphasizes the fact that the reasons for God's love are found in Him. The reasons for God's love are, are found in, in, totally in Him and not in us. See, without strength carries the idea of being powerless. It speaks of people who are utterly helpless with no means of escape. And, and, and the idea is that the lost man, the man without Christ, he, he stands before God with absolutely no ability to change. He, he can't change what he is. We're powerless to escape sin. We're powerless to escape death. We're powerless to resist the devil and to please God in any way without Christ. The whole essence of this statement is that man is unable by any effort of his own to change his sinful nature. He's totally without strength and he's weakened by his sins. Who are the ungodly and the wicked people that Paul is talking about and that Jesus died for? Well, you know, Paul spent the first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans telling us that every one of us, that we all are those people. Second thing I want you to see is that it shows us that man is wicked. Now, most of us don't feel like we're wicked. Even before Christ, we didn't feel like we were wicked. But Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 6, it tells us that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I want to look at this in due time. It, 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 Paul says, in due time, Christ died. See, God sent the Son at the right time. At the due time. Now, it, it may have seemed late to some. You know, sometimes uh, we, 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 uh, uh, we think that... Uh, as we pray and our problems go, you know, uh, we'll, we'll take and say, well, you know, God just didn't move fast enough for us. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is he's never late. Amen. He, may never, he, he may never jump up earlier exactly when we want him to, but he is never late. He is always right on time. And this verse tells us that, that in due time, at exactly the right time, Jesus, was wor- Jesus' work was done. Now, Galatians 4, four it tells us that when the fullness of time was come, that God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. See, the world at this time, when Jesus, when Jesus came on the scene, the world was prepared spiritually, economically, linguistically, politically, philosophically, and geographically for His coming. And it was, it, it was, uh, it, it was all of those things for Him to come and for the gospel to begin to spread. 
Now, in due time also has the meaning that Jesus died at the due time for us. He died when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we were a people who absolutely needed a Savior. His timing was then and is now just right for us. You know, our text says that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And I want you to consider this word ungodly. It's not, it's not something, it's something you hear your grandma say. It's not necessarily something you hear in everyday conversation. But what this word is, is the Greek word asibis. And it refers to those who live without reverence for or fear of God. It literally means to live your life as if God did not exist. Now, To be ungodly, however, doesn't mean that a person has to be wallowing in sin. The unsaved church member, and this is a tough thing to say, but the the unsaved church member is just as godless as an Adolf Hitler. When a person refuses to bow before the Lord in salvation, he is essentially setting himself up as his own God. Therefore, a person that's ungodly, we're talking about a person who absolutely does as he pleases. He's self-centered. He worships himself without any regard for the true God and most of the time without any regard for anybody else. Hence, he's godless. Now, Paul mentioned the idea Uh, Earlier in in Romans, he mentioned the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice with the the word propitiation in Romans 3.25. Now, I know it it seems like I'm fixing to go off the reservation here, and somebody's trying to connect the dots, but uh, stay with me. There is a point to this. (laughs) uh, uh, In Romans 25, it says, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, here in in verse 6 of our text, he makes the point again by saying that Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I want you to see something special here. The Greek word for the word for in this is the word hooper. And I'm probably not saying it right, but it, that's the way it's spelled anyway. And, and what it means, uh, it, it means three different things. It means for the sake of, in behalf of, and instead of. Now, other places where Hooper is, is used in the New Testament can kind of help us understand um, how this applies. Look over with me at, at John chapter 11, verse 50. It says, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for, the word hooper, the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now let's think about that a second and apply our definitions. That one man should die what? For the sake of the people. That one man should die in behalf of the people. That one man should die instead of the people. Look at Galatians 3.13. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. 
He was made a curse for the sake of us. Made a curse in behalf of us or in our behalf. We're ungodly, as the text teaches. And it it teaches us that that we were without strength. And and, and when we were dead in our trespasses, and and, and when we were uh, dead in our sins, at just the right time, Christ died for our sake, in behalf of us, and instead of us. He was our substitute. We think about it, what a God we serve. What a Savior. Now look back at our text just a second. I want you to see that man is also wayward. Look at verse 8. It says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, look at this word sinners here. We hear it a lot, and it's tossed around. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people just, you know, it, it, we hear it so much that it just kind of goes in one and out the other. But what this word actually means is to miss the mark. And it carries the idea of an archer aiming at a bullseye to the best of his ability. And he lets that arrow fly and then misses the entire target. I've done that exactly back there in the gym. <laughs> it, uh, I know how that feels, you know. But what this does is it, it, it pictures a man as he tries and he fails his way through life in his own effort. And, and no matter how good this man tries to be, he can't ever be good enough. And, and no, he, he, has, uh, he has his sights set high. He, he aims high. And he, he sets high standards. He always seems to fall short of God's standard. And man always misses the mark. See, this is why attempting to get to heaven by good works is never going to work for you. Man can ever be good enough to get himself to God. No matter how close he comes, he's always going to fall short. See, One thing, if if you don't walk out of here understanding anything else today, we need to understand that to be almost right is to be forever wrong. The last thing that I want to see, that, uh, that I want you to see this morning concerning our condition, is that man's warlike. Look at verse 10. It says, For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Notice that this verse says that we were enemies of God. You know, I remember my life before, uh, before Christ, and it never really dawned on me that I was God's enemy. You know, I was reading that, uh, this passage, and I've probably read it a hundred times this week, and it hit me like a ton of bricks that... You know, for years, I was shaking an angry fist at God. I was his enemy. And, you know, the, and it dawned on me because the Bible teaches that if I'd, if I'd been the only person to ever believe, he still would have went to the cross just for me. And I was his enemy. That's, that's amazing, amazing. See, this, this word enemy, it means adversary. And basically what the Bible is telling us is that when we're lost, we're in the devil's camp. We're, uh, we're on the enemy's side. And, and we're opposed to God and we're the enemy of God. 
And, and unfortunately, no matter how much a man may talk of loving the Lord, if that man's unsaved, the Bible tells us he's a liar. God says that the lost are his enemies. So I hope you can see that apart, that, a, 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 that, that people apart from Jesus, they're in a hopeless situation. And the fact is, there is no hope in man. All hope will be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as a, as a, as a sinner, um, as a person not saved, a man is totally helpless and totally hopeless before the Lord. He needs something he can never produce within himself. He needs help. He needs that, he needs that uh, um, lifeline tossed to him. And, and his help has to come from the only source that can provide it. And that's God. But see, man in his natural state is God's enemy. And thank God this morning, and now that I've depressed everybody in the room, thank God there's more to the story than just our wretched condition. Amen. Because I, I want to take a look now. Now that, I, now that, I, now that I've, I've talked about the bad, let's talk about the good. Because I want you to see Christ's boundless compassion here. And I want you to see that, that His compassion far exceeded the love of man. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Paul tells us here that there are a few people in life that men might die for. You know, as I thought about it, and I, I, I can throw that question out there, who would those per, uh, people be in your own life? Perhaps it'd be a, a mom and a dad, you know, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, maybe even a few close friends. But if you really take the time to think it through, there are probably only a, a very few, I mean a small amount of people, for whom you would give your life without a moment's hesitation. Imagine that you're eating a meal in a restaurant with your son or daughter when suddenly a gunman enters the place and begins shooting people all around you. Seems like it's on the news about every other week now. So what is your immediate response? Do you hide under a table? Do you try to get away? Do you attempt to overpower the gunman? Or do you somehow protect your child? And the reason I ask this, um, for a man named James F. Kidd uh, in Wheaton, Illinois, the answer was easy. He was visiting his son, uh, who was stationed at Fort Bragg. And they went to a nearby Italian restaurant to eat. And while they were eating, a gunman entered the building and began firing into the customers. When it was over, 11 people had died, including James Kidd. And when the shooting started, he had used his own body to shield his son from the bullets, and he himself had died from a gunshot wound to the back. Later, his wife said, you know what, he's a good man, and a good father, and a good husband. He died saving his son. What more can you say? Another true story involves two miners who were trapped in a cave-in. And, and, and they were trapped in the mine. 
And they had two oxygen masks, but, but one was damaged. Only one of these men would be able to get out alive. And one of the miners, a single man, handed the good mask to the other miner and said, Here, you take it. You got a wife and kids. I ain't got nobody. I can stay. You got to go. See, we've all heard stories of soldiers who've given up their lives for their comrades. You know, maybe a grenade will be, uh, be thrown into the midst of a patrol and, and one of the men will fall on that grenade and absorb the blast with his body. He'll be blown to pieces, but the rest of the men live. See, all of these examples of rare courage, and, uh, they're, they're examples of rare courage and sacrifice. However, they, they have just one common theme. They demonstrate the human capacity to give ourselves for the sake of those we love. Family, friends, fellow soldiers are one thing. But let me ask you this. Can you imagine giving your life for an enemy? See, human love has its limits. Thankfully, the love of God does not. Amen. See, verse 6 tells us that this is exactly what Jesus did. He didn't die for the righteous or the good. Christ died for the ungodly. Next, I want to show you that his compassion exhibited the love of God. Look at verse 8. It says, But God commended or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how the love of God transcended anything humanity is able to produce. See, he put his great love on display when Jesus Christ died for those who were yet sinners. You see, while we were still weak, and we were wicked and wayward and warlike, as the, the passage tells us, Jesus died for us. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He didn't die for people who loved him. But he died for the very people who put him on that cross and crucified him. He died for the ungodly. So let's return to that, that restaurant near Fort Bragg. Suppose that young boy was a total stranger. What if James Kidd had protected a total stranger? What if instead of that grenade being thrown into the midst of a marine patrol... It had been thrown into a group of, let's say, Vietnamese or um, Iraqi soldiers that were guarding an American prisoner. And suppose that American soldier who had been abused and beaten and was permanently scarred and disfigured by his captors fell on that grenade and gave his life to save his enemies. You're probably sitting there going, you know what, people don't do that. And you're right. People... Don't do that. It, human nature recoils at the thought of doing good to one's enemies. However, while man doesn't do that, God does. And this, that is exactly what happened at Calvary. Jesus Christ died for the sins of his enemies. He threw himself on the grenade of God's wrath. And when it detonated, he died to deliver those who absolutely hated him. What love? 
What, what, what boundless compassion? I, I can't hardly wrap my head around it. May we never look at this crazy, confused world and say, you know what, if God is a God of love, then why do bad things happen? You know what, that's, that's foolishness, and I, and I know you've all heard it. If there is a doubt in your mind as to the love of God, I challenge you to take a look back at a place called Calvary. And there you're going to see a holy and sinless God. You're going to see the Creator dying for the creature that hates Him. Watch as the life leaves His body. Watch as His blood runs down that cross. Listen as His blood drips into great pools on the ground. Hear Him as He gasps for His last breath and gives His life as a sacrifice for sin. Look at the broken and bleeding form hanging there lifeless on that cross and you tell me that God doesn't love you. There's never been, nor will there ever be, a greater demonstration of God's love than that of a broken and dead Savior on a bloody cross. Now, the final point I want you to see this morning is our matchless completion. Look at verse 9. It says, much more than. I get excited when I see words like that. Much more than. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. See, in these verses, Paul tells us that we have, uh, what we have become through the selfless sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. See, because he, because he loved us, when we were unlovable, we have received some blessings from him that, that we need to know about this morning. Notice the expression, much more than. We have been completed in him. So let's take a look at what we have because of Jesus. First off, we have our position. Verse 9 tells us, much more than being now justified by his blood. See, we're justified. And the Greek word tra uh, translated justified means to announce a, favor a favorable verdict or to declare righteous. So here's the deal. Even though we're sinners and deserve to go to hell, God is able through the blood of Jesus to look at us and declare us righteous. He says that we're pleasing in his sight. We're accepted by God. And God sees us as if we had never been stained by sin. He sees us like he sees his son, perfect and fully right with himself. I want you to see our protection this morning. Look at the last part of verse 9. It says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See, because we're in Jesus, we're protected from the wrath of God. Simply stated, no child of God should ever fear uh, dying or going to hell. That's right. Jesus already paid that price, and he quenched the wrath of God toward those who believe in him. See, no longer, once you trust Christ, no longer does the wrath of God abide on you. The, the, uh, the battle lines have been erased. The swords have been put down. You are uh, you're, you're, uh, your friends now. 
You're no longer the children of wrath. See, we're free from the penalty of sin through the blood of the Lamb. Look at our peace. Verse 10, it says, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. See, we're reconciled. The books have been settled. This word means uh, reconciled means to take enemies and make them into friends. You were once God's enemy. Now you're a friend of God. No longer are we in opposition to God. We've been brought together through the blood of Jesus. God has called a truce. And He's put away the battle flags. We're no longer fighting, but we're at peace with our Lord. In fact, our relationship is so close that He is always with us. Look at Hebrews 13.5. It tells us that let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said... I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We also have direct, unimpeded access to his very throne. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us uh, therefore boldly, or come boldly, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. Guys, you need to understand that once you have trusted Christ, you are at peace with God. Look at our preservation. Verse 10, it says, Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Let me tell you something. This this makes my heart jump because you know what this verse tells me? This tells me that at this very moment, Jesus is alive this morning. This has nothing to do with the life He lived here on earth. It has everything to do with the life he lives right now in heaven today. Because he lives, you and I have absolute security as believers. And nothing can ever come between us and God. Because Jesus is there standing up on our behalf. See, he's our advocate. Look at 1 John 2.1. He says, My little children... These things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, when we're accused before God, the Lord Jesus takes our part before the bar of heaven. He stands up for us as our defense attorney and He pleads our case. And and He shows the Father His wounds and He tells the Father that we are the children of God. We are His. You know what the father responds with? No evidence. Case dismissed. He's also our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So, simply stated, Jesus is praying for you and me as we journey toward our heavenly homes. And you know what? I'm glad for each one of you who pray for me. But it absolutely thrills my soul this morning to know that even now, while I'm preaching, my Savior is talking to His Father and mine and asking God to bless and use me. Your names are on His lips as well. And He's bringing you before the Father as well. 
He's our prayer partner. We don't know exactly know what to pray or how to pray. Jesus knows exactly how to pray. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. Even when I'm not on praying ground, Jesus always is. And I have the privilege of joining a 24-7, 365 prayer meeting going on. And another thing that we have because of Jesus is our praise. We don't use it all that often, but we have our praise. And in, in, in Romans 5.11, it says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Get that. We joy in God. That's because these things are true. Because we're saved and we're secure in our salvation, we should be filled with praise to the King. My friends, if, if there ever was a reason to praise the Lord, God's given it to you this morning through His Word. Look at our privilege. Verse 11, it says, By whom we have now received the atonement. We've, rece we've received the atonement. Simply put, that's two parties brought together. At one moment. We're now walking together. We once walked apart from God. We're now walking with God. And this phrase reminds us that we have been made one with God. Think about it. Old, lost, hell-bound sinners have been brought into a personal relationship with the God of heaven. It isn't just any relationship. It's that of a father and a child. We have been brought nigh to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And see, ours is a great privilege that shouldn't be taken for granted. If you think about it, every religion in the world, uh, all men uh, from the beginning of time has wanted to be brought near to God. That's why Israel sacrificed millions of sheep and cows and birds on their altars. That's why every year Muslims sacrifice millions of animals on Mecca. What the blood of these animals these dead animals could never do for them, the blood of Jesus has done for us. Amen. Look at Hebrews 10, 11. It says, it tells us that in every, in every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath per perfected forever them that are sanctified. You know, I look at these verses and, and I'm, I absolutely marvel that God would do all this just for us. But he did. Our blessings are far greater than the mind could ever begin to comprehend. And in light of these truths, I've got I to ask, that, where do you stand with God this morning? Are you saved? Are you as close to Him as you need to be? Are you as close to Him as you want to be? Are you guilty of being in love with Jesus with every fiber of your being? You know, Miss Mary ain't here this morning, but when I wrote that, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to get an amen out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> My friends, we ought to be, though. We ought to be consumed with Jesus. 
And he should be filling our hearts right at this very moment. See, if other things have have begun to crowd him out as we enter this time of invitation, why not let him clear the clutter and take his rightful place in your heart? Maybe you just need to tell the Lord you love him and to thank him for his great gifts in your life. Whatever it is, why not obey him this morning? Good job. Good job. Let's stand together. I'm looking out on a lot of friendly faces. But every time that I do, I worry because you get more than two or three people together. One of them probably doesn't know Jesus yet. Say, well, how can you judge us like that? I'm not judging you. I just know the past experience by asking you then. You know, there are people in the world that believe that Jesus was a real person. And some even believe that he's God in the flesh. But deep down, they think he was a fool. And if what they're thinking was right, they would be right about that. You know, every Sunday morning we come in here early and we remember the Lord's death through an ordinance called the Lord's Supper. And we actually think about what he went through on the cross. The fellow in in Ray's illustration took a bullet in the back for his son to protect him, to save him. Jesus didn't take a bullet in the back. That would have been pretty easy compared to what Jesus went through. Jesus went through agonizing torture upon torture upon torture for hours upon hours. And then died a suffocating death without being able to push himself up on the nails to get one more breath. That's what he did for me. If there was some way, if there was some way that you could live righteously enough or do well enough or be good enough somehow. See, I grew up, I grew up in an absolute demonic false religion telling me that I got to live good enough or you're going to hell. When the truth is that I could never live good enough. And, and I was about the age of, I don't know, probably these girls sitting here on the front row. Maybe a teenager yet, maybe not. And I remember sitting at the back of that Pentecostal church, that Assembly of God church. And yes, that's a demonic one I'm talking to you about today. And I'm not ashamed to tell you what it is. That's what they preach I lived it, I watched it, I heard it again and again and again. And I said to myself, sitting back there, I know I can never live that good. I, 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 I'm not good at it. I can't do it. And I didn't know I was right. I thought I was just hopeless. And so I left, never intended on ever coming back again. 
And then, a, you know, life moves on. 10 or 15 years go by. I'm out working in a, in a business that they tell you it's a good idea to go to church. So I thought I'll go visit one. And I visited a Baptist church. Never been in one in my life. And that old man brought his wore-out old Schofield Bible to my door and showed me on the pages of the Word of God that the whole point was because I couldn't live good enough when I'm yet without strength. That's why we don't stand up here and beat on that pulpit and tell you, you got to repent of your sins. Do you know why we don't say that? Because you can't. You're without strength. Without Christ, you are without strength. You couldn't repent of your sins if, if it would get you out of a burning house. But after you get saved and Christ comes to dwell, then you can make some progress. But until you know Jesus, until you're in Christ, you, have no, you don't have a rest chance. Nothing you can do. And he showed me that and the whole point of Christ going to the cross. You know what Jesus said when he was in the garden just before they came and arrested him to put him through all that torture? He lay prostrate on the ground. And he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the wrath of God, that cup of God's wrath that was about to be poured out on his son because of me. What that, when he said, if it be possible, if there's any other way, if there was some way you could be good enough, if there was some way you could be good enough, Jesus would have been a fool to go through what he did for you. But there was no way that you could ever be good enough. Never. You had no chance, no hope. Nevertheless, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And then the Bible tells us it is the will of God that none should perish, but that every one of us should be saved. If you die without Christ, that's a sad day because your debt was paid and you turned it down. That's what it amounts to. There, there is no gift in this universe like what Jesus did for you. Nothing like it. Ray, Ray talked about how because of God's promises, because of his word, we can know that we're going to heaven. And we do. And if you're here this morning and you don't, if you're not sure, if you don't understand, you maybe, maybe not. Well, I hope I am. Come and let, let us show you how to know. We know how to do that. Come, let us show you how to know.